Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Cult Podcast. Tonight, we welcome one of the hardest working guys in heavy music, or just a guy who utilized his time to the fullest. Member of Dead Cross, Planet B, Retox, Head Wound City, The Locust, Swing Kids, so many more, Justin Pearson. JP, how are things? Um... Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, I, I mean, things are fucking weird. Totally weird. Yeah, it's the weird world we're in right now. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, they're decent as far as, like, I'm not dead. And uh, we're, on this, we're on this call together. So I guess it's not, you know, too, too terrible. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a weird time for sure. Well, okay, let's start with COVID for a minute then. Have you been writing lots, being hunkered down, or have you just been kind of taking it easy, taking this as kind of a break? No, I feel a lot of anxiety if if I kind of stop doing stuff. Also, I don't have I don't have the financial cushion. Not that I mean, I don't think anything I'm doing ever makes money, especially right now. But I mean, I, I have to hustle to do things now more than ever. So, I mean, I've been working on a few records and stuff. Which, um, you know, that obviously isn't going to pay off, but it'll pay off when things kind of get back to what might be the new normal. So, so like, you know, I've been working on, I've been working on like, yeah, three albums at once and four albums maybe at once. And, and, and then, um, you know, at some point they'll all come out and then things will kind of pick up. But yeah, just trying to figure out like weird ways to hustle and stuff, especially here too. Like everybody I know seems to have, lucked out and got you know um unemployment and stuff like that and i i unfortunately can't because i own i own a business i own 31g so i can't get unemployment so it's just been like and you know then it's like 31g is affected by this too just like everybody else so it's it's pretty tricky trying to navigate but um i mean i'm not i'm not complaining it it could be worse for people it's way worse for people in my own neighborhood so yeah i mean it is what it is um but no, there's been no break. <laughs> Sorry, long answer. Okay, so where do you think that live music is going to go from here? Man, if I had that answer, I would cash in right now and probably make millions. Um, so it's hard to tell. I mean, I, to be honest, like I think there will be some sort of vaccine and people will kind of adjust and get back to things. I mean, we've this planet's gone through some weird shit in its history, and I think that it's... I think it's just like a little, I mean, when you're in it, you think like, oh my God, it's Armageddon or whatever, you know, the end times or whatever. But like, I feel like, I don't know, there's probably, we could list off a bunch of other things that that happened, you know, on, 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 on humanity's time, timeline so far that seemed like the end, you know? So, I mean, I feel like, you know, people are going to be social again and people crave, um, you know, human interaction. And I, I just think that at some point it'll, it'll adjust, you know, I mean, will it be like a bunch of sweaty people like moshing and stuff? I, I don't, I don't know. Like, will Coachella be able to, you know, go back to normal? I don't, I don't know. But I do think that, I do think there'll be some sort of normal thing happening um, in, in due time. I just don't know how or, or when or, or what <laughs> I don't know you know what I'm saying like I, I don't know I wish I had the answer um I really do I, I just think that I mean 
I don't know. Like I keep hearing like how Japan has their shit together. A friend of our a friend of mine's like pl- um, playing a show soon and stuff. And I'm like, wow, okay. And you know, they they kind of like. I think maybe Japanese culture is c- completely opposite of American culture. So you know, you have people that are kind of more you know like socially uh, well mannered, you know, and in Japan, and you know, don't have a problem wearing a mask. Where like here, people are just like, you know, just suck, <laughs> just like anti maskers and whatever. I mean, maybe that, maybe you know what, maybe the mask don't work, but like just do it. Just put a mask on and just shut the fuck up and like be, just chill out, you know. And so, I don't know, I don't know. It's weird. America is a strange place to be in right now. It's probably the, la- the last place I'd want to be, but not, not the last, but like it's definitely not an ideal place to be at, at this moment. So um, I don't know. I, w- I just wish I knew that. I, I, if, if I knew what was going to happen in the future, I would I would be psyched and be able to prepare for it. And I am preparing for something. I just don't know exactly what it is. Well, hey, it's been weird not having to, not being able to see you live. I feel like. I, I don't even go a year without seeing some project that you're doing live. <laughs> we'll get to all of that. I want to take you back for a minute, though. What were some of the formative artists that helped shape you as the artist that you would become? Man, that's that's crazy. So um, I, I can list off a bunch of stuff, but I think what's more important, and, and it's not that I'm trying to get out of answering it because I'm totally down to talk about about artists that have influenced me throughout my life. But um, I think what's more important is, is let's say like, okay, uh, let's say an example would be, um, I really liked, or I still do like, but I really was like uh, kind of obsessed with septic death when I was at, when I was 12 or 13, you know, and, and, and that's fine. Like that makes sense. You know, you listen to septic death and you're like, okay, that makes sense for, for me now and who I am and what I've done that I grew up listening to a band like that. But what, but why was I into crazy shit like that at that age? What was it in my life that made me, you know, kind of gravitate towards <clears throat> what I think is, you know, and this isn't a negative thing, but like absurd art, you know, it is pretty absurd music and absurd art. And, and, and especially as a child, like, why was I into that? So I think those are kind of more, not more important, but more interesting. Like what were the things that made you get into the stuff you were into? You know, and I mean, that's a whole other conversation i guess but uh i mean yeah just i grew up really super influenced by uh when i was re- i mean when i was really young i obviously you know i liked all like i like like when van halen 1984 came out i was obsessed with that record i thought it was the best thing ever and then kind of right after that i started getting hip to hip, or pun intending i guess intended getting hip to hip-hop and so i like, <laughs> got got into, got into stuff on on tommy boy records that was a big deal for me and i think at the time stuff like uh like that movie Breakin' and Beach and that movie Beat Street came out. So I was really into kind of strange um, hip hop, which had a lot of weird electronic elements to it. And I and I was, I don't know, like musically, it seemed, you know, it seemed just like punk to me. So um, that was another thing that I got into. Um, but then skateboarding happened, and Thrasher and and all the Thrasher skate rock compilations happened, and then of course like you know, the cramps and the sex pistols and the misfits and suicidal tendencies and all that. Um, and then it was just kind of, then it was just like this, the floodgates opened, you know? So, um, but even before punk and stuff, I, there's little things that I think triggered what I was into because I was really into that film as a child. Um, 
Ferris Bueller's Day Off because of the hit, you know, the, the main song was by Yellow. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of think that that, actually, no, the main, yeah, the main song was by Yellow, but also had Six Six Sputnik in it. And I think those two bands, Yellow and Six Six Sputnik, were, in retrospect, looking back, were like huge um, influences on the way that the Locust was um, destined to become. So it was like when Bobby and I started the band, we were really into that kind of stuff. You know, Devo and stuff like that, and so, but we we didn't really address it as far as as far as a band that we would be in. So it, you know, we we started this band, tried to sound like Crossed Out, and then who was who was also a huge influence bands like Infest and stuff. But like we were really into Crossed Out, and then somehow the idea of mixing you know Crossed Out and Six Six Sputnik became the locust. So um, you know, but the 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 why were we into that kind of stuff was probably just because of our childhood and the way we were brought up and I don't know, the world that we, that we, you know, that we grew up in, the things that we were exposed to and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, then of course, uh, there's the, the, the birthday party was a huge deal. I remember being really young in, in this record store in Arizona where I li- lived, um, called Zia records. And, and they had this like little bin of stickers and they, there was a, there was, you know, I'd go through, I would look for like the, you know, uh, like PIL stickers or, 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 you know, there was this, there was always like black and white, you know, square stickers. So there's like, there was always like a, you know, motorhead or whatever. And so, um, there was this one that said the birthday party and it had the cover of junk, junkyard, the junkyard EP or single on it. And I remember just thinking like, what is this, you know? And, and then, uh, you know, it took me a minute and then it finally got the birthday party, um, I think the first birthday party record I got maybe been in the appeal sessions. I don't remember what it was, but I got the, the birthday party record. And then that was another thing too. I was just like, what is going on here? Because they don't, they don't, to me, they didn't, you know, they didn't have like, they didn't look like your typical punk rock band and they definitely didn't sound like it. And, but they were, the musicianship was really creative. And so I think that also became a huge, um, influence you know on my on my years to come after that you know that was like you know 11 or something and so then it was it was by the time i got to 19 you know i I was that i think like stuff like the birthday party was totally integrated into my dna at that point so um yeah i don't know but there's there's a few of of the bands i guess i can keep going on speaking of the locust was there ever a push to try and do movie scores with that band no, but I would love to. I mean, I'm, I've done, um, I've done, I think, uh, I've done some stuff, some scoring stuff, but the, the main, the main thing that, that I've done was I scored part of the film Incompressa, um, which ended up becoming, um, the, the, like became, became planet B basically. But, um, as far as the locust, I mean, there it's at times there had been like an idea like, Hey, we should work on this film or we should work on this cartoon or something with this person and then it just kind of never never happened you know and and it's for me i really enjoy that kind of stuff because it's it's not that i don't want to write complete songs but you don't have to write complete songs so it's 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 pretty rad and it's rad to try to find like you know you have this one scene and you need to you need to draw this emotion so what what you know you only need one riff or 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 two maybe Mm -hmm. and then you know like a i don't even know if you need the vocal you know but it just kind of I think it's really cool to, to try to, to try to see something and to, to try to pull something emotionally out of, out of it, uh, that matches, you know, the, 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 the sound, you know? So, um, 
I don't know. I, I would be super up to it if someone presented it, but it's it's harder to be like, hey, let me score your film. Someone has to say like, hey, will you score this film? You know. Well, speaking so. of Incompressa, uh, your role is fucking amazing. And uh, thanks. I, I I personally think that you need to do more acting. Is this something that you've been trying to do your entire life as well? No, um, but when it when the film came out. <clears throat> And I went to Cannes and stuff with everybody that was in the film. I, I sort of had this idea that I that I would like to act, to act like really, really do it. And so I, I got an agent. Um, I got hooked up with an agent at CAA, and I tried to work on stuff. And my problem that I had at the time was the agent would send me this, these parts to to learn, and he, you know, I'd, he'd he'd send it to me like let's say on a. I don't know, on like a Thursday night. and like, hey, we need this by Monday. Like, okay, you know, and I would kind of, I was like, at the time I was still, you know, working, uh, you know, and doing other things and stuff, uh, like other jobs or whatever. And so I, I would, you know, and throughout the weekend, I'd, I'd have I'd have a little bit of time to read it or I'd just bring the script of me and like, and read it in the car, read it everywhere I went, you know. And then here comes Sunday and I'm like, all right, I gotta, I gotta, you know, do this and deliver it. And I just couldn't get, all of the lines uh, memorized. So I was having a lot of problem because problems because you know because like in in that in those few days I also had band rehearsal and I also had I don't know whatever else life stuff. It, it wasn't like I was just an actor and I could just nail this, you know. And so I would I would cheat and I would I would, I would copy photocopy all the um, uh, all the lines like really really big and tape them all over the walls and kind of pretend like I wasn't reading stuff, you know. <laughs> But just, but I, I just feel like I never could get, um, I never could get the, I, I could never memorize it and make it natural in, in like three, in three days. I needed more, a little bit more time. So that was, I think, my problem with it. And then it just, and then it kind of just didn't really amount to much. But in in that same realm, I, I did um, a voice on the cartoon Uncle Grandpa, and Which when I went to awesome. do that, I learned a lot because. Basically, we, we had our script, and we just we all went into the studio, and we each read our parts, and then they animate to the the audio. So, um, I was pretty psyched on that because I was like, oh, "This is so easy, you know, because you can read it and you can grab the the voice and the emotion and and, and the delivery without having to memorize every single thing and, and and be physical. Like when you're when you're doing the acting, and doing the lines, and, and your part, you have to you have to you have to also, you know, acted. So it was, it was really easy because it was just the, the audio, you know, just the voice. So, so, um, so then I started doing, I started trying out for a bunch of cartoons and, and those seemed like they were going to pan out. And I, I did, I did one about like this panda, um, like a gang. And, and, um, and then I don't, I don't think it ever got, um, I don't know. We, I, I did, I did, um, like, like a complete episode for uh, like a, I don't even remember who it was for, and then I don't think it ever got picked up, so that never happened. And then I don't know, whatever life happened, and then I quit getting stuff sent to me to try to try to do. So um, if anybody hears this and, and they're looking for an actor or a voiceover for a cartoon or anything, if anybody's looking for anything, I'm pretty much up for whatever it, whatever it is. So um, <laughs> the weirder the better for me. So um, yeah. What well, I, I think you're an amazing artist. So. Could we ever see you get behind the camera one day and direct something oh, I yourself? I don't know, man. I don't. I don't know. Um, if someone 
I, I think it'd I be fucking sweet to see what, what you'd come up with. Well, I think I would have to be something like an assistant to, to, to a director of anything because I, I'm not sure I know how to, um, <clears throat> I don't know, I don't know how to, um, you know, operate the gear and stuff. I mean, that's a whole other realm of, of stuff I'd have to learn, but you know, what's weird is, um, there, there are certain things that I picked up on that I think were really helpful. For instance, when I filmed in Compressa, um, watching how each scene was getting um, directed, there was a there was a there was um, there was a time signature that people had to pay attention to, and I never realized that. Um, so you know, it would um, the scene would happen, and it would be you know I don't know like a you know Ozzy would, would kind of like stomp out like a, a t- like here's the here's the beat you know like m- this is your pace that you're gonna move in you know and then you kind of did your scene and and there was a there was like a flow to it which i thought was interesting i never i never thought about that um so it was really helpful um acting thinking about that it it, it, ha- it had a it had a flow and it kind of i don't know how to explain it it was a, it was, it's kind of you know if you if you hear it's, it's, it's like it's like playing music, you know. You you know with other other musicians. You, you're there. Oh, here's the beat. Okay, I'm gonna grab this this riff and and or the vocal and lay it on the. You know, and it was kind of like, okay, here's here's what I have to do. And then our dialogue kind of fit in this time signature. And it was interesting to to see that happen. So, I mean, I don't know. Um, I would love to. Yeah, I'm not opposed to it. I just it just seems like something that I would it would never manifest. You know, and I'm not sure I I have the ability to go out and do it. But again, like I'm, I'm really good at like saying like, hey, do this, or 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 you know, like you know, like if we're filming a video, like hey, let's try this thing, like let's do this thing, or like I think we should stand over here, or, you know, whatever, like suggestions. Where I think maybe some people might not pay as much attention to detail. And a lot of times, I think that that's a, a curse that I have. Um, you know, I, I just see every little minute thing that just is weird or 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 you know, noteworthy or 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 shitty or whatever. And, and I, and I, and I trip out on everything. So that, that's something that, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess that could help me if I was, if I was to do uh, directing, but yeah, I, I just don't know if that would ever happen. I, I've never even thought about it, to be honest, <laughs> well, aside from like a video, you know, music video or something. Well, well, would you say that you've been pretty instrumental in all the music videos that you've been a part of? No, not at all. I mean, it, I think there's so many that, that, that are, um, that, that I've, been you know that there's so many that exist so so like you know a lot of times it just depends it's kind of like a it's kind of like each band is different or each video is different but depending on the director because you know sometimes you just give someone something and then you get a and there's your product like they're done and or sometimes you get something and you're like oh you missed it or we need to change the vibe or or you know it it doesn't cut with the the changes in the music or, or something like that you know where i think like I mean, I have been lucky to to have worked with some really awesome video directors, um, and almost entirely have had no budget. So I'm grateful for for them for doing stuff. Um, but with a budget, it's like you know, like you could have, like we could have done some gnarly shit, but you know, we had no money and we we knocked this thing out of the park so it's it is kind of a trip to think about it like if i if i was you know on in in a, on a in a band on a like a giant label that was like here's i don't know whatever 
however many thousands of dollars for video. Like I've never done, I've never had that budget. One time I, I did with Headwind City and that was it. And I had nothing to do with the video. And to be honest, I'm not the biggest fan of it, but it is what it is. Um, so I don't know. It's a trip. It's a, so yeah, I mean, again, like I think I'm very, um, I'm very critical of things, but at the same time, I'm also very cautious of, of, of realizing like, hey, we've had no budget and this person busted their ass making a video and the person that's, the people that are going to really benefit from it is the band. Like the director kind of doesn't benefit as much as the, you know, they're not going to see a royalty from a from a, a records, record sales or they're not going to see shit, you know? So it's, I don't know. Like I'm, I, I kind of think like, well, you know what? You you pour your heart out, and this thing happened, and could have been better. I mean, I'm not trying to be a dick, but yeah, if we had a few thousand dollars, we could have done this or that, or we could have spent more time with something, you know. But it is what it is. So, um, yeah, for whatever weird reason, like as life goes on, I I, I still don't have a budget for, for any videos. It's a fucking trip. But at the same time, there's things that happen, and I'm like, oh shit, this is perfect. And it happened for nothing, you know, and I'm, and I'm, again, like, so grateful that I get to work with certain directors that are, you know, that get it and, and want to be part of, of whatever, but, you know, like what we all created musically, they, they become part of that song, essentially. Well, I want to turn to politics for a moment. Was, oh, it the ba- <laughs> <laughs> Was it the bands that you were listening to that helped shape your politics? Or were you actively searching for bands that shared the same political beliefs as yourself? Um, huh. I think at an early age, I was pretty psyched on the sort of political righteousness, you know? So like when I would hear certain bands say something, okay, good example is the first Suicide Tendencies record. And, and, you know, when you hear Mike Muir saying, I shot Reagan again and again, I was just like, wow, like this is fucking crazy, you know? And I, you know, this is like, it blew my mind, you know, I couldn't, I was just like, holy crap, like, you know, and this is Reagan era stuff, you know, and I was, I was just like, this is, this is crazy, and so I think it was kind of like, that was really, really interesting to me, and it wasn't until, I mean, I, I discovered shit that was, that was political, but not, not, not on the same, you know, um, political, uh, you know, for instance, like, I, you know, everyone, everyone's like, uh, okay, a good example was I figured out like who screwdriver was, you know, and I was in, a, in, 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 and then, you know, over the, t- over time realized like, oh, they're Nazis. And then everyone would, or people would like occasionally say like, well, the first record's really good street punk and they're not, that wasn't the racist record. And it's like, okay, but you know, them as human beings are racist shitheads. And <laughs> also like that first record totally sucks. You know, I mean, they all suck, but like, at least, you know, the racist shit's kind of, like, funny to hear, like, oh, yeah, like, White Power sung over, like, Rhythm and Blues, like, and, you know, and, like, with the, some of the worst players ever, you know? And so there's, there's, a, there's unfortunately, there's, for me, there was, like, humor in it. But but for the, but what I realized, like, oh, it's garbage. But it wasn't until, man, I remember being, I don't know, maybe 13 or 14, probably 13, I bought... Um, I bought Bad Brains Quickness, and I really liked them a lot. And I had seen some footage of them playing on on a on a VHS tape, and I thought they were fucking crazy live. And I was super psyched. And it wasn't 
um, the same for me when I realized that they had a homophobic song. And, I, and so I, I was like, wow, this is really weird that they have an openly homophobic you know, song on this record. And um, so started kind of trying to, this is pre-internet, you know, but trying to figure out like what was what. And I think it might've been the same time. There's this band called go that put a, a put a, an album out. And then one of the songs she's like, um, I think the beginning, the singer says like, this one goes out to you or like eat shit dreadlock motherfucker or something like that. Each. And I was like, Whoa, what's that guy talking about? And he was talking about bad brains. Cause they were, you know, he was gay. Uh, the guy from go or maybe the whole band, but definitely the singer. And so I was like, wow, so people, like, so they're totally homophobic. Like, that's fucking crazy. Like, that's not cool, and I'm not sure I want to like them, you know? And I had a bunch of their records, and I think that they their music was really fucking good and still is, but I'm like, well, they're but they're homophobic, and that's that's an issue for me. So it, I think politics kind of um, came into play pretty early on. And then, of course, when I started playing music, it was a big fucking deal, especially being on Ebullition, and I think everything was... Um, very hyper sensitive as far as like um, people's uh, bands, politics, you know? And so I think that was something that kind of just became um, almost as important as the music, um, if not maybe more. So, so it was, um, it was pretty early on though. I mean, you know, hearing all the dead Kennedy stuff or even like realizing what the sex pistols were, I mean, being, being 11 or 10, 10 years old, I think, when I first discovered the Sex Pistols and kind of realizing that they were really political without kind of really understanding a lot of the politics. Like, I didn't know what God said the queen was. I didn't even know what a queen was, you know. I did, but but it, was, it was like looking into it and kind of seeing the sort of um, imagery that, that bands would have and like, you know, like, it's a good example of the Sex Pistols, like with the torn up British flag and stuff and kind of seeing this sort of... Um, political slant to things and realizing that it kind of was born out of punk and hardcore was born out of protest, you know, it's to protest music. So that was something that I really, I think, um, no, I didn't like not, I didn't necessarily gravitate to it towards it, but I definitely, um, identified with it and, and focused on it when I, when I realized that it was something that was part of punk for me. Well, what do you make of the protests on the streets right now? Do you see real change coming from this? Yeah, I do, and we've already started seeing it. I mean, the, even for one, I mean, I I think the dialogue is is important. Um, I think that like there's a lot of polarization of politics right now. A lot of it's I think um, not really helpful with people's social media tactics. Um, but I think I think that for me, you know, going to the Black Lives Matter protests has been very um, inspiring uh, in the sense that um, we're in the middle of a pandemic and people are going out there in large numbers, all being responsible and and responsible in in the way of wearing masks. Um, And um, I don't know, man, it's weird. So this is a really hard question to answer uh, because it's, it's, I feel like it's sort of massive. um, And also I'm not sure which way to go at first. So, I think systemic racism has been a huge issue in America, obviously, in, in Western culture, obviously, and it's it's it only was a matter of time. I mean, I grew up, you know, during Rodney King riots, and it was it was a little bit different 
where like now we have I think unity amongst our solidarity I think about uh, with other rate with uh, you know most race all races in in the the and people are focused in like finding out where like systemic racism is coming from and like having this um sort of awareness of the oppression coming from the police department which is you know sort of handed down uh the tactics are handed down through the government so i think it's something that i think people are becoming a little bit more educated and aware on compared to let's say you know the rodney king riots where it was it was you know people were pitted against each other i think in some respect so um I don't know. It's just it's different, and I do see a lot of things changing. And the, the thing that I, like, even with like statues being toppled and being dr- dragged down and, and destroyed, I think that's great. It's like how long do we have to have a racist statue up there? First of all, fucking statues are pretty stupid anyhow. I mean, it's like you pull down a statue of some dude from you know 1902. I don't know why you're going to get upset about it unless you're like a pigeon and you shit on it or something. You know, <laughs> like it doesn't really matter. You know, like it's like just get over it like i'd rather see something new up there and relevant and something for everyone not just a statue of a, 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 a shitty slave owner or some fucking i don't know you know whatever like that, uh, that some other slave owner fucking put up there yeah and also you know even even a lot of the a lot of the um statues that are being brought down were like were you know erected after slaves were free uh i, I use that like you know in quotations but like after they were free kind of just to, to state their white supremacist or white supremacy, you know, was like still, um, or I guess white power was still a thing, you know, like here, we're going to put this up as a reminder for you to, you know, keep in line or I don't think, um, I don't think we really need those reminders. I think people of color definitely don't need those reminders. So, um, I, I'm all for tearing them down. You know, I mean, even Christopher Columbus and, and George Washington, like those are the, some of the worst human beings and i'm not really sure why we have statues of them everywhere so i don't know man it's it's weird regardless i think that the protests that are happening right now are effective um and and i'm and i am impressed because i i think i i kind of looked at it like when it first started and didn't really think that it would get or have the sort of momentum and have the traction and have the movement that it has um and we're not even done with this you know i mean i think that it, I, I think that it can, I don't know, I think we'll see stuff happen that's um, long-term and and obviously good for humanity, um, but is it enough and is it fast enough? Probably not. Um, but I, regardless, I'm, I'm impressed and I'm, and I'm hopeful and I'm um, inspired. So th- those are things that I've definitely seen come out of this. Do you think that the rage in music is gone? Do you think that music just doesn't have the currency that it once did? Or do you think artists just don't have the spark to really rise up in the way bands like Rage Against the Machine or Fugazi or Bob Dylan did in the past? Or do you completely disagree with this statement? And do you think that like the hip hop community is rising rising right now? Um, it's it's weird because I know when when um, when Trump was elected, there was all these people kind of saying like, "Well, at least punk will be good again," you know, and this and that. And and I, and I, I kind of took a not took offense to that, but I thought that was a kind of a, 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 a um, kind of a stupid comment, you know, um, because so I guess those people that felt that way, referencing the prior eight years with the Obama administration in America, 
were were feeling that people were um, complacent. You know, I mean, I think I think people were pretty soft, and like you know, I I'm, I even when when I criticize Trump now, people are like, well, Obama did this, and it's like well, I'm not a fucking supporter of Obama either. I mean, I think you know, yeah, I'm, I'm aware that he deported more. Uh, more immigrants than any other president. I'm aware that he was really psyched on illegal drone strikes. Like, you know, I, I get it. Like, I see, I see these things. So it, I think, um, I don't think that like music got um, more aggressive and more aware and more, more, you know, aggro and political and, and since, you know, in the, in the last three years or whatever. But I, I do think that, um, I think it's always been there. I just think people maybe didn't realize it. Um, and I think that, you know, when you look at, like, um, because when you, you threw Bob Dylan into the mix, so I'm trying to figure out, like, what your your angle is in the question. Like, what, like, do you mean, like, you know, music that's, like, tough and gets you fucking amped up and you're like, I want to go, you know, fucking smash a cop car or whatever, you know, or, or do you mean, like, just protest music in general? Because I think... I'm, I'm more meaning, like, protest music in general... To me, and, and this is just my uh, my own personal thing. I think you got guys like Run the Jewels, and a little bit of what Childish Gambino did a few years ago. And I guess I guess I'm like more going towards the mainstream and and the mass public catching on to an underground kind of a sound and bringing that to the mainstream with political issues, kind of the way that they did with Rage Against the Machine, Bob Dylan back back in the '60s. Even a band like Fugazi got to a level that they got to and being a very underground band because of people kind of taking what they were saying and bringing it up a little bit. I don't know that I'm seeing that that much right now. Oh, man. Um, I think that the best, probably the most effective way to, to like really wrap your head around it and to see it is to look at it in retrospect. So like, I don't know. In, in five years, to look back and, and go like, "Oh yeah," in in, in twenty twenty, like this shit was happening. This, not that it, not that like you and I don't know what the fuck's going on, but like there's things that might be happening that we don't necessarily realize the impact of it, or mm. maybe we're not aware of it quite yet, or something. But I think also too, we need to give credit to the subversiveness of it because sometimes you know because you we might not even realize it at the time. Like, Oh my God, this was right under our noses. And it's, this is like the most politically driven, what, you know, whatever form of art thing or art piece or album or song that we didn't even realize. So I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I remember like, you know, when Lady Gaga was at her height, you know, she was really outspoken about LGBTQ stuff. And that was, that seemed rad, you know? And I think that was really, really, amazing and i think it did a lot of people uh, did a lot of help for people of that community but it, it, when it's happening it doesn't seem as you're not just like oh my god she was she did this thing you know so right now we might not realize it i mean even when rage was happening and, and more relevant or whatever you know i was just kind of like dude you guys are putting out shirts with che Guevara on it it's like jock assholes like cruising around the college I was going to, like, with a fucking Rage Against Machine shirt on. You know, I didn't even know who it was, you know? And it's like, oh, my God, this is really weird. So, you know, and, and then again, too, like, I think recently maybe they were going to get back together or did get back together, and, and there was some quote where Zach said that, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to, like, we're going to push, you know, whatever, like, 
pushed the pendulum or I don't know what he said, but something to the fact that like we're gonna get out there and then we're gonna get we're gonna vote, you know, it'll be Donald Trump out of the out of office. And I'm like, wait, I don't know if like a band can do that. You know, I, I don't I don't think in history one band has, has done that like something monumental like that. You know, and I, I get I get it. I think it's, I think they were relevant or are relevant or ha- their music is relevant to some extent, but I don't think it's like I'm going to, you know, we're going to fucking go jam and play some shows. And the next thing you know, like, we're going to have a different kind of president. I don't think that's, I don't think that's feasible. It's just music. I think it, I think it has to be part of a larger picture where like any, I mean, anything anybody does like as a musician, it's not, it's not the thing that's going to change the world. I mean, that's, it may, I don't know, like, will the Beatles ever happen again? Will Elvis ever happen again? I don't know if something like of that magnitude can, can happen again that, that can have a huge impact and shift um, the way we are, you know, the way we c- conduct ourselves as, as people, as humans or whatever. So, um, but I think stuff like, I think like, you know, Run the Jewels works on, on point the whole time. And I think Killer Mike is really awesome and really well spoken, and I and I like their music a lot. But you know, and I and and I, and I don't want to criticize anybody. But at the same time, I think listening to Killer Mike in a lot of his lectures, you know, kind of like pushing for people to vote, which is totally fine. But he he comes at it like like from like a class, uh, like he's not very like um, he's. So yeah, obviously he's a person of color and he has he has a lot of insight. But I think he's also a, a very wealthy man, and so I think he doesn't understand uh, necessarily, or maybe he's not speaking for people who are poor. And I think that's a, a big deal to kind of realize that. I mean, I, I really do feel like there's all these things that like we need to pay attention to one of them, you know, one of, obviously race is one of them. Yes. You know, I, I don't want to be a person that's going to go speak about how it is to be black. Cause I'm not, you know? And, uh, I think that if I, if I'm a, if I'm a super wealthy man, whatever my, you know, ethnicity is, uh, I, I'm not necessarily sure I can talk about the struggles of poor people. Um, I think it just seems like it might not, unless I was an economist or something, but I, I don't, I don't know. I think that like, I think there's flaws in everybody, including myself, but every artist has their, has their own flaws. So I think it's really the best way to kind of look at it and be like in a ret- in a, in retrospect, like, okay, this person did this thing and it affected whatever. I don't know. It affected, you know, this community or this country or I don't know, or this generation or something. And then, and then, and then we can see it once it's done. Cause I guarantee you when the jewels are going to go down in history as something more than we're aware of right now, you know, uh, they're rad. They put out fucking rad records. They're super on top of their shit. I don't know that it's going to be as big of a deal until it's until we can look back at it and be like, oh yeah, they fucking did this thing and it changed shit, you know. Um, so, with that being said, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I mean, um, I, I do appreciate the fact that like really mainstream stuff like them um, is able to be very political um and yeah whatever a lot of people don't get it you know a lot of people don't catch it just like the douche is wearing the 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 che Guevara shirt you know like but it happens and it reaches some people and it affects some people and that's better than affecting nobody so i don't know that's one thing i learned my 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 friend martin atkins um he 
you know, is he always uses this thing. He always says this thing where like, he was, you know, he was, he was in PIL and ministry and killing joke and pig face and all these bad bands. And he'll, he'll say this shit where he'll like, as long as I go out there and I make two new fans every night. And I'm like, two, like why, why only two? Like it's <laughs> weird. And, and it's because they're like, you, everybody's like, I need to make up, you know, million new fans and whatever. Like, no, he just, he just go, he makes two. And like one of those two is going to be the person that's going to do this thing. You know, like it's, it only takes one fucking person to kind of check it out and change and like that's it you know like to start the the fire or the revolution or the whatever you want to call it you know and so um that kind of um that comment that he made really resonated with me because especially because i i can go out there and i can make two fans <laughs> a lot of you know, i can make 200 so um i'm like wow oh, yeah two that's that's rad okay i get it i see what you're saying and and i think that's something that's really important so you know I, Rage or Running Jewels or whoever can go out there and, and, and make, a, you know, a million fans and a lot of them can kind of miss the point, but it's only going to take those two that got it to be the ones that were going to push the ideology that was in the music or the, 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 um, you know, the heart or the, I don't know, the power behind the music. They're going to push it to, to change the world. So I think that's, something to consider i mean we're, i think as artists like it's our job to kind of reflect the world that we live in and then and then set it straight you know kind of make it correct um i think that's important to, to realize um it's not our job to be the one doing it like yeah we i, I play bass or i sing like it's I'm, I'm not the one that's gonna be like starting and executing the revolution you know i'm like i'm not gonna be the one like doing it but i'm part of it and i'm and i'm part of like i reflect something i say something and it has even if it doesn't even have words to it i think man there's shit that's goes beyond language you know it just it moves you and it, and, that, and if it's moving the right people then then we're doing something good i think for the bigger picture well speaking of looking back would you say that your move to san diego was really the moment that helped hone in what would be what would come next from you? Yeah, I would have been a piece of shit if I stayed in Arizona. I'm one hundred percent sure I would have been a piece of shit. Um, but I mean, I moved here when I was twelve, and then it, it took me um, three years to to start a band. Um, and you know, I I don't think even before, even like up to the point where I started my first band, I never thought you know, when I'm 44, I'm going to be like this. I, I just thought I'm going to just jam with these, my two friends or three friends from school. And then it never was, it, there was not, there was never like, I didn't look at it like for the future. You know, I didn't start it and go, I'm going to be this. I just thought, man, I have fucking fun playing music. I'm going to do this. And we're pissed about these things. Let's say this stuff or let's use this artwork in our, in our, you know, or have these lyrics and then like play music and it's fun and it's rad. And we are, and we like without realizing it discovered a whole world that was connected. Um, you know, again, pre-internet, um, whole, you know, like all over people, you know, all over the planet, people like that had like-minded ideas could, could connect. And I thought like, wow, this is something that's pretty special, you know? And I think that punk and hardcore is unique to that, um, to where it was really, uh, about, um, community and about um, I don't know culture and stuff where it, where we you know I remember like 
getting a letter from someone from Germany right after Struggle put out uh, once my first band Struggle put out a song on a compilation and I was like whoa my god like there's someone in Germany that likes what I you know what I've done I can't believe that and that, that was the craziest thing for me to realize and now it's like now it's easy you can just put it up and instantly everybody can check it out or whatever but um I don't know yeah I don't I don't know where I don't know like I I feel like if I didn't if I didn't come to San Diego I, I would never have fallen into the I would never have had the opportunities that I that I ended up having you know, I, I'm I'm pretty sure I would I would not have met the people that I played music with. I'm pretty sure that I would not have ever met Kent McClard from Ebullition, who put out the first few records that I've ever been, you know, that I was ever on. So I don't know. I don't think those I don't think those opportunities would have even been remotely as cool if I was still in Arizona. Well, you started struggle at 15. What were some of the venues that you were getting, and what kind of cachet did that have in your high school years? Uh, one of them was playing in my high school, um, which was weird. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it was weird because we played at like a the quad area, like at lunch. And I remember after we were done, I got beat up by skinheads, and I was like, "Well, that's, that was kind of interesting," you know. Because well, first of all, I thought it was interesting that they that they let us play there, and we were, you know you know, we had, we had like t-shirts with like the American flag burning on them and stuff. And, and they might even even said fuck on them, I think. But regardless, uh, I remember just getting beat up by skinheads, which made sense. It's like, yeah, you guys are white supremacists and probably not psyched on what we're doing. And they can't, they couldn't have combated us any other way, except just jump me in the hallway, you know, after we were done or whatever. Um, but I mean, most, you know, uh, struggle played at the Che Cafe and, and, played at um you know like um vfw halls and 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 where i don't know we played all kinds of places i mean there's this place if anybody knows in san diego it's called Campland by the bay and it's like where tourists will drive their rvs out and stay in this camp area and they'll they'll, they'll it's like by, right by the bay we, we like i remember when i was 15 we played Campland by the bay and we we played with uh, my friend's reggae band and Jello Biafra gave a lecture and it was, an, it was like this earth day thing. And my mom came, <laughs> it was like super weird, you know? And there was like people in their swimming trunks and shit. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I just did whatever I, whatever I, whatever we could, we just did it. And, you know, we played the red barn in Santa, Santa Barbara or Galita. That was a pretty important thing or Gilman street, obviously, uh, you know, and then, um, Wherever else, you know, I mean, we played at a lot of houses, played in garages, played in fucking wherever, didn't, didn't matter. Um, you know, especially at that age, you know, we, we were just kind of hungry to play and didn't really have, um, standards or, 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 you know, um, I don't know. We didn't have expectations necessarily. I mean, I, I think back, like, how the hell did I do that when I was 15 and go on tour and like, how did we even get gas in the van and stuff or the cars? You know, like, I don't know. I mean, we shoplifted a lot and stole and shit like that, but I don't know how, I don't know how we did it. It was, it's weird to me that I, that I did that, but we did. So, yeah. Well, speaking of your mom, was she pretty supportive in your passion for music? Totally. And my mom put up with so much of my shit and granted, I put up with a lot of her shit too, but like, you know, she bought me my first bass. She would have to drive me to my rehearsals if struggle when like 
you know, before I got a, before I was 16, she had to drive me to rehearsal. Uh, she'd drive Jose and I there. Um, we'd practice at our singer's, in our singer's basement. And uh, she, I don't know what she would do, but she'd drive us there and then she'd have to pick us up. It's fucking weird. Um, you know, and then, you know, I think there's a lot. Oh, well, she came recently and saw the Locust play and it was, it was so cool because she's friends with, you know, she's friends with all, all my bandmates and she's friends with a lot of, a lot of my friends. And we played with, this band, the Creepy Creeps, and and two people, well, Dylan from Struggle was is in that band as well, and so you know, it was like, it just it was really cool and awesome to have my mom be there, and you know, she doesn't get it musically, but she's psyched, you know, and she thinks it's so cool, like that we played this really nice big venue, and there's all these people, and they, everyone went crazy, and, and you know, and and she was impressed, and that's that's really nice to have my mom be like that, you know, she put up with so much shit for so long and then now she can kind of feel like oh it paid off you know and that's cool because i think not you know she didn't always feel that way she she'd always tell me like when are you gonna get a real job and when are you gonna you know stop doing this thing where you jump off the stage and you know you're you know like you're not a spring chicken anymore and it's like well i don't have a um I don't have any other options, you know. Like this is what I, this is what I put all my my eggs are in this basket. I'm gonna try to stick this out. So I don't know. It's cool to to have my mom kind of see that, um, you know, like have it kind of like become. Um, I don't want to say like relevant or lucrative. I'm trying to think of the right word, but like I don't know, maybe relevant, relevant to like a more a, a bigger level, you know, like a more normal person level like my mom is you know so she's like oh my god i I see you're not playing someone's basement or someone's house like you're playing a real venue and there's a marquee with your name like that's impressive to my mom like okay that's cool fine but um i'm I'm glad that like we got to that point to where she can um where she she is a she is um i don't know like happy that i that i did what i did and like i i can say that i can that i appreciated all the hard work that she put into like raising me and making sure i could do it and and like just being down with all my friends and bandmates i mean my mom's so weird i remember one time i don't know why we had jose's drums at my, my mom's house for for a couple weeks or something and i remember i had to go pick them up and i went there and she had attempted to put his drum set together in the garage so she could play it and it was wrong i mean the kick drum was backwards <laughs> and stuff but I was like, what the fuck? Who did this to the drums? She's like, I couldn't figure it out. I was trying to play him. And I was like, dude, that's so rad. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know why, what, what she thought she was going to do, but that was so cool. You know, I, that was like the coolest shit. And, and then, you know, I, I don't know. My mom does like, my mom's got, she's not afraid. You know, I don't, she always said like, don't scream. Are you only, you're always screaming and stuff. And she, I remember like, um, uh, there's this documentary that's, that my friend, um, John Nix has been working on and um, they interviewed my mom for it and um, uh, they, at one point I don't know Dead Cross came up and, and she's like yeah I really I really like the drums a lot but she's like well, I don't like the singer I don't think he's very good and I was like that's so fucking rad and I was like you've got to use that in the documentary because I think Patton would be psyched you know if he heard my mom saying that about him but it was the coolest thing because most most people that know what's up would probably not but like most parents would be like, oh my God, that's the reason, you know, you're whatever, like not criticize that. That would be the one person that wouldn't criticize, you know, and I, my mom just went right for him. Like, I think he was not that great of a singer. And I was like, fuck yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> <clears throat> well, speaking of Patton, 
Was the creation of Retox your first encounter with him, or how did that relationship come to be? Uh, we The Locust did a safety second body last with Ipecac before that. Um, and our um, relationship started because Ipecac put out Kid 606, who is a old uh, ex-San Diego person um, who did a remix for us and stuff like that. And then so Kid 606 tipped Patton off to the Locust, and then we just met... Like, I think it was on the first Tomahawk tour, Gabe and I went and saw Tomahawk and hung out with them. And, like, you know, we went and got burritos and stuff. And he was like, oh, I want to do a Locust record. So we were like, oh, we had, we had just signed to Anti. Um, but we made it a thing in our in our um, a contract that, that we could do EPs. So we're like, we would love to do an EP with you. So that was it, you know. And soon after, uh, the Locust toured with Fantomas, I think on their second album or something. And then, you know, we just been like friends and then, and then retox and then, you know, whatever. So plan to be, put out a plan to be record. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel like Ipecac is very similar to three, one G It has this sort of family vibe and a community vibe. And, um, even same with epitaph, I feel like the same, you know, kind of on different levels, obviously, but, um, it's just like, you're part of this family and that's, that's how it just goes. You know, it's just like that. I remember cause when, when, when Ipecac put out the Planet B record a couple of years ago, it was just like, he was just like, yeah, this is fucking great. Why not? Like, and I was like, okay, cool. Let's do that then. You know? And, and, um, so yeah, I mean, he runs his label, I think a lot, like I think I, I run three one G. Um, and, and he's just a rad dude, uh, very, very talented and cool person. So there's yeah. that. Well, did you ever think that Dead Cross was going to end up being what it was? Because I, I saw you guys in, I think it was 2016 at Sled Island up in Calgary. Oh, yeah. One of, one of the few shows that I got to see the original singer. And, and like, it was it was good and, like, it was sweet seeing you and Lombardo. But then when I heard Patton was in the band and then I saw you guys, my, my wife and I traveled to uh, Chicago to Riot Fest just to see you guys play that show. <sighs> Fucking. Fuck, I'm sorry blown away man no it was uh, i fucking uh, loved it huh dude i always think it's terrible i don't know what it is really i mean i'm glad you loved i'm glad you loved it i thought it was terrible but i mean it, it was different it's different for us I, I, for, I mean i don't really if you if i had the opportunity i would or the choice i would not prefer to play a festival just because i think there's i think you lose you strip it of all of its real raw energy i mean for one the the audience is really far away. And for two, my bandmates are all far away from me too. And I think that that's just kind of awkward, you know? And, I, and also, you know, we were in the glaring sun and I couldn't, you couldn't see like what effects were on. And it was just a little bit of a pain in the ass. Um, um, I feel like but, it, it, it caught so many people off guard because I, I think people were so naive and they just went to go check you guys out because they heard Patton. And I, as far as I'm concerned, that first Dead Cross album is one of the best albums of the last decade. It's fucking wow. genius. And if you uh, and if people haven't heard it, they should go listen to it. I fucking love it. But well, then I guess we're gonna be doing really good with our next record because I feel like our first record just was like such a strange attempt at something. And it wasn't until we got to really write and, and record our the record we're still working on, but the one that's almost done, um, like that was the, like the new record is really 
real. It's like the real shit. It, I feel like the first album just kind of, we didn't really fully understand um, what we were doing or capable of or, or what felt natural. You know, we, it was, it was a, it was thrown together really fast um, and, and not in a very um, normal way. You know I mean? The whole idea was to play three shows and then the three shows became eight or nine and then Gabe quit and we recorded half the record with Gabe and then it was like, Oh, I'm going to get a different singer. And then it just, the whole thing was sort of fucked up from the start. And so now it's like, Oh, we're going to do a record and this is who we are. This is the kind of vibe we, we, we like within ourselves. And then and the, these are the players that are going to be on the record. It made more sense. So the new record, I mean, it's going to be totally different. Even now, like I, Patton's working on the, the vocals for it and he's, he's like fully into like, making the he just wants me he's like we need to have you singing on every song like just the dual vocals and like make it super violent and i'm like, so fuck, fucking right? excited like, for this man this is gonna be fucking great <laughs> well i mean I, I think it'll be good but i don't want to sound i don't know you know just wait it might not be that good so you know i don't know maybe people be like this is fucking bullshit which has happened a lot you know i mean i i'm 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 into it but it doesn't mean everybody else will be into it but um yeah, I don't know. It's the whole band was just it, the whole band is strange, but that's that's part of the beauty of it, I, I suppose. But but I will say, like, you guys seem so fucking tight. The only other time, well, when you saw us play in 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 um, Colorado or uh, Chicago, we had already we had been on tour for you know a month already. True. You know, like yeah. we had already been on tour, and you know, it's I mean, it was like I don't know. There was like. There were people around. We had to, we were like, all right, we got to fuck these people up. Like people around, like <laughs> not in a bad way. Like people that we respected were like, all right, we got to, we better do this right, you know. And we had all this shit lined up too, man. We were like, we were talking to Danzig the day before, and we were like, hey, we want you to come out and sing this Dallas cover we do, and this and that. And he was gonna do it, and then he fucking chickened out. I don't know what a, it was like. I think he like, well, we he like chickened out because he said his, something about his voice, but I think he chickened out because the night before. I think he got beat up by by the dudes in Queens of the Stone Age or something for like starting some shit with them or something like that. And they really? were there. <laughs> something weird. I don't really remember. But yeah, he, he was like drama. You know, we're like fuck, man. Like we were gonna, you know, because on that same tour we had we had done uh, we had covered um, Nazi punks fuck off with Jello, and so we were like kind of juiced up on like let's. That was that was incredible for me to like look over and be like, "There's Jello," you know. And I'm like, "Okay, I want to do this. Let's do this I want to look over and be like, "There's Glenn Danzig." Like, this is weird. Um, it didn't happen, which is fine, I guess, and whatever. It is what it is. But um, um, what's my point? Yeah, he was supposed to sing with us at, at that fest. Oh yeah. So then, like, you know, we're on stage and you know, Patton's like typical Patton fashion. Like, hey, let's do the let's do a Gigi Allen cover. Suck my ass and smell. It's like, okay. And I don't think anybody in the audience knew what we were doing. No, I you know, fucking I was, I was screaming so hard. I was fucking so into it. I was like, I could well, not. You were probably like one of the three people that were like, oh my god, this is Gigi Allen. I think <laughs> I think nobody knew what we were doing. It just looked like we were fucking up. Um, uh, well, yeah. g- going back to the reaching out to only one or two people, I'm glad that you at least reached me. <laughs> yeah. See, but that's okay. Like, there you go. Perfect <laughs> thing. Going back to that that thing that Martin Atkins told me. You know that we reached the two people, and you were one of them, and that that's good. So there's <clears> that. <laughs> well, g- going back way back now for a second, though. I think Swing Kids is one of the most underrated bands, especially when we're talking about political punk bands. 
Can you tell us how that came to be and what sort of an impact do you feel you had in pushing issues forward with that band? Yeah, okay, so that's why um okay, for one, I don't think that swing kids were very political. We came from struggle, which was overly political, and I think the problem that I felt, and maybe Eric Allen too, at the time was that um we were like, Man, when we're super political, we we're sort of alienating people or turning people off. And I and I and I thought, Okay, you know, and we you know, we were into like we were really into bands like Moss Icon and stuff who weren't like but burn the fucking flag and like we hate all cops, you know. It was you know like like Bob <laughs> kind of was still political, you know, like talking about like um, you know I don't know Native American rights or something that was a little bit more um, I don't know cohesive. I guess it wasn't just like it wasn't just like you know fuck the government, you know it, you know so like um, I thought like okay like maybe we won't be like overly political, but let's but we were fully a political band and political people and so we were you know we were playing a lot of benefits and trying to do things like you know the first song we put out was on a Buna bombs compilation which mm-hmm. made sense and so things like that but but um but i wouldn't say it was like a political band i mean i don't know um yeah but also too like i'll say this like i think my contribution to the band was the the weak link of the four of, of the players or the five of the players i think i was always the weak Link as a singer, um, I didn't know how to write lyrics, and I didn't know how to sing. And I, I think, I think even though we sounded a lot like Jai, like Jehu, those guys were better players, and I wasn't maybe up to par with them as a vocalist. And so I do kind of cringe at um, my contribution to the band. Um, but at the same time, I'm grateful that people appreciated it over time. No one liked us while we were banned. It, it was, it was like really hard and we were a band for only i think like maybe two years and then after we weren't a band but i think we became a little bit more popular maybe because of eric allen passing away or something i'm not entirely sure why it became like a bigger deal but um no one cared uh when we were banned and that was kind of a bummer to do, to do that but it, um um I'm glad that it. I'm glad that like it resonated with people. Regardless, I appreciate that, and I appreciate people. I mean, I've had people tell me like it saved their life, and I and I understand that because shit saved my life too. I just kind of think like, what the fuck? Why did why that band <laughs> and not not something else? And so, well, Headwound City was such a statement in such a short amount of time as well. What were the initial inspirations that brought about that sound? Uh, kind of just like friends that wanted to jam together. And I think the initial idea before the EP was that, um, Nick Zinner wanted to be in a metal band or a thrash band. And that was, I think he was like talking about it. Um, he was like talking about it in a way like uh, maybe to the blood brothers. I think the blood brothers and the AAS were doing something together. They were hanging out and they're like, Oh, let's start a metal band. Let's get JP and Gabe in if we want to make it metal. And then that was, and then it never turned out metal. But um, <laughs> you know, it, but it was it was probably gnarlier than than most of their other their their other work. And then you know the EP happened, and then we played two shows, and then I don't know why we never did it again. It was it was weird. We you know it took so long before we before we considered it, and I I don't know why it was weird. You know everybody got on with their lives and stuff. And so then when Headwood City got back together to, to play, um, I thought it was totally absurd and ridiculous and i was really into doing it um and we were we were supposed to like it was like this 
they need, they just asked Nick, like, can you please have one of your bands play? And, and I think the IES were not doing it because Karen was doing like a solo thing or something. And they would have been too big for the, the event. And so Nick was like, well, Headland City. And I remember thinking like, dude, we, last time we played, we only played one show. I think last time we played one show, we only have, you know, we only have eight minutes worth of music or something. We're going to have to write more music. It just seemed like a total dick move to like get paid, really get paid normal money and 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 then and then like cut out after fucking 10 minutes so so we wrote a couple more songs um one of them was borrowed from gabe and i's contribution to the incapressa soundtrack which was cool and interesting in itself because it, it was like we already wrote a song and then it became a new song as something to, like kind of different um and then it was like those two songs like the one that the band wrote and then the, the um the Incompressor song was what like kind of pushed us to, to I think become a band again and, and 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 write a record. But again, it was like very much like the original Dead Cross thing. It was just like we crammed in writing an album in two weeks and then went and recorded it a few days and then and that was it. And it was like kind of strange. Like a normal band doesn't necessarily do that, you know. And I think we could have like spent more time developing um, stuff. But it is what it is, and I'm usually the easiest. Well, maybe not. I think I'm the easiest going person, so I'm like, I'll do whatever, whatever you guys want to do, and I'll be available for everything and nothing. You know, whatever, whatever it is that happens, I'm down. So like, let's do it. Um, and so, you know, it ran its course again, and <laughs> it was very short, and then and then we were done. So, um, well, that was also I mean, a, it, that was also another amazing live show for me. I saw you guys open up on the uh, Savages tour. Is oh okay? You guys are fucking so tight at uh, Commonwealth. Yes, so that was a that was a good one too. Um, it, the only thing that was kind of weird was that we we never really fit on the stage um, as a five piece <laughs> opening band. It just we had like a lot of shit to deal, you know. And it was it just, and obviously I think that a lot of the Savages fans probably weren't into hardcore, so it was just it was it was a little challenging, I think. And I, I think it, um, we would have been better if we would have went out you know, with, I don't know, Limp Wrist or something, you know, like a, but like a band that's like wanted to get nasty, you know, I think, I think we needed that and I, we missed the cue. Uh, and I love Savages. I thought they were fucking great and I really enjoyed touring with them. I just think that their fans probably didn't want to hear like brutal shit, you know, and so it was, it was a bit, a bit of a drag here and there, but you were one of the two people and that, that's, <laughs> That's the point that I got to keep sticking to. <laughs> All you're doing is just appealing to me every time. <laughs> yeah, well, it works, I guess. Okay, But you know what? There was one other person that, that we appealed to, so that's cool. Uh, okay, well, Planet, <laughs> Planet B, that, that uh, 2018 record, is fucking awesome. Was it cool for like, you to like experiment with a lot of a lot of new sounds for you? Yeah, I wouldn't say that it was... I don't look at it as, like, new sounds. I look at it as, like, um, Luke Henshaw as a producer who is kind of rooted in hip-hop challenging me as a singer. And so it was really... Um, I don't want to say hard, but it was, it was, like, challenging to kind of figure out how to be almost like a rapper. But my delivery is like a like a punk singer, you know? So... It was a trip because I didn't really understand it at first. You know, he's like, here's the 16 bars, and then and then there's a, you know, the verses are all 16, and then there's a chorus, and then 
um, he there's little tiny things like like um, this happens. This has happened twice, not on that record, but in Planet B stuff. Where like I would say something like, um, uh, okay, well this happened like last week actually, and it happened before again. But um, the lyric is like. You know, again, being political, patriotic motherfucker, you know, and he's and something motherfucker. And he's like, no, 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 say like, say like motherfucker, you know, <laughs> I don't know, like fucker. And I'm like, what? And so then I would, I would say it like that. And I'm like, fuck, it sounds like I'm like a hip hop dude. Like, this sounds weird. Um, but I get it, you know? And so the, the, the sort of nuances were, 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 were different than what I'm used to. I'm used to very sharp, um, I don't know. It's just a strange thing to wrap my head around, but I'm really appreciative of the, of him challenging me because I think it makes me uh, a better lyricist and a better vocalist, and it makes me a little bit more versatile and and as, as being an artist. And I and I like that. I don't want to just be a one trick pony. So, um, um, the thing that I was tripping out on is like a lot of his friends that were like like hip hop and graffiti dudes and stuff were always like, man, this shit's wild. Like you got to go fucking battle. Like you should go to these rap battles and just fucking spout off this shit. And I'm like, what <laughs> the fuck, you know? And, and like, I think that they're probably crazy for saying that, but at the same time, I'm pretty, um, I'm not very versed in like a rap battle, you know, like I get it. I, I think like, I really like b-boy culture and stuff like that, but I've never really been to like a rap battle. But I let's—I'll just like be a fucking stupid white dude and be like, "Oh yeah, like in Eight Mile when when he goes to the rap battle." <laughs> okay, sorry everybody that hears this, but like that's what I think in my head. And I think like if Eminem just fucking belted some shit out like a punk singer, but in this sort of cadence as a, as a rapper people would have been like, what in the fuck? You know, and so I get why these people, like his friends, like these hip-hop dudes were like, this shit's fucking crazy. Like, it's hip-hop, but like, you know, whatever. I don't know, whatever it is, you know. But to me, I think like, well, you know, there is weird shit like, like, um, I don't know, death rips, you know? Like, those are homies and like, they're fucking doing rap in like, in a punk way, you know? Like, I don't, I don't know like that we should get that much credit, but maybe those people that were that were tripping out on Planet B had never heard um, Death Grips. I don't know, but regardless, um, it's a it's a challenging project to be part of. But I'm really into the challenge. Well, I want to move into three one G for a moment. When did you decide that you were just going to say fuck it to your financial aid and put it all into making a record company? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's a bad idea. <laughs> I should not have started a record label, but I'm in it, uh, and I can't get out of it, so I'm going to just keep rolling with it. It's fucked. I mean, it's super fucked. Uh, I wish I had the ability to put out what I want to put out, and um, not what I want to put out, but, like, I wish I could put out more stuff or repress stuff, but I don't have the money. And I also like need to make sure I pay everybody on the on the label, and so that gets really hard sometimes. Um, yeah, it's fucking hard. I owe a lot of bands money. Uh, luckily, they're all my friends. Most of them are my friends, and they 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 understand that they'll get paid at some point. And I don't know. It's a trip. It's really hard to run the label. I mean, it's crazy because like with the Locust and being on GSL, like we had never gotten a royalty check ever. It was fucking crazy to like read an article where Sonny's saying that he sold a hundred thousand copies of a, of a Locust album. And you're like a hundred thousand. 
a lot of money that we never saw, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just need to make sure I pay everybody and, and, you know, before I get too, too far into debt and stuff. So. Are are you, are are you excited for the future when, when, when things do pick back up again? Do do you, do do you think that three, one G is, is going to become bigger at some point? (laughs) No. Um, but I do notice like, Digital sales have been have been a bit better, which I guess is maybe COVID related. I don't know. Um, I kind of have this weird um, concept of digital music. I think it doesn't make sense to me. I, I want to own a record and I want to put on a record. I, I have digital digital files and I want to play them as well. But I just don't understand digital sales. It just I'm like, why? Like how? Um, uh, I don't know. Um, I always like go online and if I'm going to buy it, if I, I'm like, oh, what is this record? I want to buy it. Try to find the vinyl. If I can't find the vinyl, I'll buy the MP3s. Um, but I don't prefer it. I guess that's, I guess maybe I need to, I need to like reevaluate that if I want to make something relevant because man, it would be really awesome to put out a record and not have the manufacturing cost of a record that doesn't sell. Um, I think that's, that's a big, um, thing to consider where like putting out I don't know like we put out the NS record which is Bobby from the Locust and I think we sold 70 copies you know and like I'm sitting on the rest 400 and something it's just it's like that's a lot of money that I just am sitting on now that I never will ever I mean eventually sell but it's like it's just hard you know um would have been better if I just put it out um digitally only and then but it, it doesn't make sense to me it seems like a cheap it seems lazy it seems like a lazy thing to do as far as a label um i would be bummed if ipecac didn't put out the physical planet b record i would have i thought that would have been like that would have been a bummer um but with that being said i'll never see a royalty check from ipecac because the fucking records don't sell so i don't know it's it's a, it's a strange world that i don't fully understand how how big of a music collection do you have? Um, my answer would, would be two things: it's not big enough, or it's it's big enough. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, there's always like shit that I would love to get. I mean, I, dude, I've going to like going to a record store and it's like that's rad. There's a bunch of them in San Diego. I'm like, I always find shit that I want. But I'm like, man, I just don't have the money for this right now, or. I also don't have the shelf space for it right now. Mm-hmm. So that's something to consider, I guess. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm constantly, like, cycling through stuff and, like, kind of being, like... I used to be obsessed with shit. Like, um, I was obsessed with the Sex Pistols as a little kid, so I have, like, 13 different copies of Never Mind the Bullocks. And I'm like, I don't need all 13 of these. I also have it on an 8-track. I'm like, fuck, I don't... I mean, I kept the 8-track because it's weird, but, um, you know, I'm like, I don't need 13. I probably just need like eight or nine and so i would sell a few of them or something um it's all the same music you know i, I don't know it's just a weird thing but i'm i think that's probably where my problem lies is like as a collector i i, I think is is where it gets kind of weird well how did you get approached to do your two books or did you uh, just start writing them <clears throat> yeah um the, the the first time I ever wrote anything, I did this. Uh, I did a, a tour a tour journal for um, I don't remember what publication it was. I did a tour journal for something, and and when I was done with it, I think I just sent it to a, a 
some friends or I had a mailing list, an email list, and I sent it out or something. And and John Waters was a friend of mine. He was a friend of mine, and he, he read it and was like, oh, this is great. You should write a book. And I was like, what? He's like, oh, yeah. I mean, like, if you wrote this, like, a lot longer, you know, like like a, like a real book, that'd be, that'd be really cool. And I was like, huh. Uh, that's weird, and I kind of didn't know what he meant. Like I was like, "But this is John Waters like telling me this like it probably has some kind of like substance to it." So I was, I was like, "Wait, like what do you what would you suggest?" He's like, "I don't know, just think of a story, write something." And I was like, "Okay." And so I, I I wrote this. It's part of the book, but the first thing I wrote was like I wrote this story about how when I was a little kid, I was obsessed with Kiss, and I and I really. Um, wanted to go see them. I think I was five or six. And, um, and it was a me and my, my friend Ryan and his older brother, Justin, we were going to go see kiss. And, and as far as I knew, we got tickets. <laughs> and, uh, I remember like being super jazzed and, you know, and of, co- of course, like I didn't really understand that kiss sucked musically. I just thought like they looked fucking cool and they sold, they had like pinball machines and, you know, like cereal and shit. I was like, okay, this is cool. Like kiss is great. And so I remember thinking, like, tonight's the night we're going, and my mom, like, bought, like, took us to this um, this store and bought my friend Ryan and I a bunch of Pez candy and dispensers, and we were like, wow, this is cool. And I remember sitting back in the car and, like, wait a minute, we're getting duped right now. And I was like, hey, what's up with, you know, Kiss? And my mom was like, well... Ryan's father and, and me and your father decided that you guys are too young and so you can't go. And I was like, what the fuck? You know, and so that was like my first story that I wrote about how I thought I was going to go see Kiss and got like cheated out for a candy or whatever. And then so at the end of the story, I wrote about how like <clears throat> like I went on this vacation with my parents and we were in this um, uh, mountains or something and, and this song was on, on the radio and I remember like sitting in the back of the car and we're like, this song sucks. Whatever this is, and they're like, that was the new single from, uh, I don't know, it was like fucking Peter Chris's like solo album, for, but it was like the Kiss, like where they each did their own record or whatever. And I was like, there's that song Beth, and I was like, dude, Kiss sucks, and I just was like over it, you know. And that was so. Any, I don't know. That was the first story I wrote about about Kiss and like getting getting ripped off from my my parents and not not being able to go because I think I needed to see them at five or six. I think I needed to, for many reasons, like just to be exposed to music, to see something like that band at that time and their, you know, in their fucking heyday. And then also like, uh, not to equate my own band with something I think is shitty, but like, you know, the, I think aesthetic of kiss, the way they looked and their personas, the stuff definitely, uh, seemed like, uh, somewhat in the realm of what the locust does, I would I would rather like use uh, Devo or something as a as an example. But um, I was like I needed to see that you know as a as a little kid, and I didn't get to. So anyhow, I wrote the story. John Waters was like, all right, there's the start of your book. Like just write about forty more of more of those kind of stories, and then so I just sat down and kind of kept writing a bunch of shit, and then I put it all in like a chronological order, and then that was that was that, and so. I I was pretty weird about like like I don't know how to I didn't know how to find a publishing company and um and so I reached out to a couple friends and I initially reached out to AK Press and I really am a huge fan of that publishing company and wanted to have them do it and I had a friend that worked there and they got it and they uh have to vote on it and it has to be unanimous and so um 
out of like the, all the people that voted two of them, I don't know how many there was. For some reason, I want to think 10, but anyhow, two people, going back to that weird number, didn't think it was political enough, and so they passed on it, and I was like, ugh. I mean, it's not political, but and I get it. Um, but it was through AK Press that they, they sort of, um, someone there pitched it, or gave me a contact for Soft Skull, which is another publishing company that I was really into. Um, there was a few books that they had put out, like, um, I think they were called, uh, there was one, uh, No More Prisons, and then there was like a second one follow-up called Bomb the Suburbs um, by William, uh, I can't remember his last name, Uplinski, or something. I'm probably saying it wrong, uh, but it was like about like kind of like hip-hop, and it kind of seemed punk, and anyhow, it was, um, Soft Skull was kind of seemed to me like a, a record label where like if you when i was a kid i would buy something from alternative tentacles or or like um or like boner records or something um and you would get the you would get like a like the brochure that had all the other you know bands and you would you just like for me i would just kind of look through and say oh this looks cool i'm gonna try this out you know that's how i discovered melvin's i, I didn't you know or still hold bathtub or like uh, i don't know alice donut or just random shit that i never or no means no Fuck, that was something, um, you know. So it was kind of like uh, I felt Soskull had books like those record labels did. It seemed like alternative tentacles to me or something. So I was really psyched that they wanted to publish it, and they they uh, they like um, linked me up with a uh, an editor and, and stuff. And it was sort of like um, putting out a record to me. Um, I think I, in retrospect look back and was like, fuck, that book was not that good. I probably could have done a better job. And so then I did my second book on my own and realized how to, I figured out how to publish it on my own um, and think it's a lot better. And so it was like my second attempt and I think I corrected some things. Um, and so actually just the other day, I kind of started fucking with writing a new book. So um, I don't know. Yeah, I have a weird way of writing. It's, it's very like um, compartmentalized I, I'm writing about like one specific kind of um, thing in my life. Um, uh, I worked at this gay club for for a while, for like eight years, and it's just about that. <laughs> so it's it's a weird, and I'm not gay, and uh, and I learned a lot, and I saw some crazy shit, and I think uh, it, it like um, was a very um, relevant thing in my life for a while. So I have a lot to say about it. So I'm, I'm like, I'm gonna write about this. So anyhow, I just started. Um, doing that and I'll just put it out myself or I don't know maybe work with maybe find a publishing company um, can you, yeah it's, can, it's a lot like putting on record can you tell us the one of the craziest stories from that from what from, from your time working at the uh, at the gay bar dude there's so many it's just, <laughs> it's fucking crazy like is it, is it truly like even just even just how I got the job is insane um Fuck. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm saying fuck because I don't even know where to start. Uh, it's like uh, I've seen some of the crazy and been part of some of the crazy shit that I never thought I would ever experience. Um, but uh, I remember, like, before I had got the job there, I, I had um, I had been really broke and needed a job super bad. I was on Craigslist and like fucking doing all this bullshit stuff, like just whatever the hell I could figure out to make some money. And like, it was sucking really bad. And at the time, um, <clears throat> at the time I had 
the, this girlfriend of mine and I had this idea that like we were gonna um, do this thing where like we were gonna um, we were gonna put out these ads and say like hey we're looking for a platonic um, friend to pay for like a sugar daddy but like without sex or whatever and, like <laughs> so we're, we like we like wrote these things but it wasn't like gender specific so like I was just like oh I was like thinking like okay you know we just were like we're both we're both broke and we're both we're both like weirdos and we, we, you know, like people probably would have fun, like boring people probably have fun with us and they'd pay for the bill and like do cool shit. So then like we put up these ads and like all these people just tore her apart. We're just talking all this shit to her and like saying how fucked up she was. And, um, and then mine was just like dudes being like, sending me nudes of them and stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, this is not what I was trying to accomplish. You know, like I don't need a photo of a dude in the shower. And like, that's kind of weird. And like, I don't get it. And so one of the people, like, kept corresponding with me and was like, uh, you know, and I was like, dude, look, I'm just broke and I have, like, I don't have a job and I and I need a job and I just, I don't know, whatever. And he's like, well, you should just, um, you should, you should do this and, like, send me a link to another Craigslist thing. And it's like, it's like, make a hundred bucks in one hour dancing. I'm like, okay, fuck, I don't know how to dance. But, like, he's like, you should do this. Like, you to- you're, you know, like, and I don't know, the guy was like you know, 20 years older than me. And he's like, you're hot. Like, you should do this. And like, you, you know, and I'm like, huh? you know, whatever. Like, and so I, I, it was this ad to go like, to go like dance. And it was actually like two, it was like hundred bucks for a half an hour. And it was like two different half hour, like things or whatever. And like, so I, it was like this club that I had been to once. There was like this Interpol thing. Actually I've been there twice. One time I went there to, to meet John Lydon, but, um, um, but I went there and thinking like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go like talk to this person to make it this job. And the job is to like you just go you go there and you like just go out there and try and you like dance in front of like 500 people and you fucking dance on a go go box like in your underwear. I'm like, hey, I don't know, like this might not be my thing. Like my underwear is not that rad, and I have a bunch of weird ass tattoos. <laughs> like, that might not be a fucking good idea. But, like, I also have been working at this, I was like, I also been working the door at this bar, and I have a guard card, like, to be a door guy, you know? And I was like, I've been doing this at this bar that I, that I, um, I don't know if they went out of business yet. They had, like, maybe they, they fired me, but I got beat up pretty bad there um, by, by Nazis and, uh, and actually by a suicidal tenant, like a suicidal gangster dude beat me up pretty bad, which is another ironic thing, because I'm in a band with someone from suicidal tendencies now, but, um, um, so I actually had a guard card. So I was like, Hey, I have this card. I can be a guard. So they were like, Oh, well, we're doing this like VIP thing. We want to, we'll hire you to, to do that. Like, and so there was like, you know, minimum wage or whatever, but I had to like watch this like VIP area. And so I was like hanging out with like these really, um, look like, like financially loaded dudes that would like get bottle service and shit, you know, and like, and, and so like they just in nature, like just look handsome and, you know, dress, you know, and like whatever. And so like, I mean, I'm charming and enough and I could stand there and shoot the shit with people. And so like, I just started like, I made friends with everybody right away and it was like really easy to do. And, and, and so like, I remember the first night this guy was like, I'll give you 300 bucks if I can suck your dick. And I'm like, wait, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> wait, I was like, you don't pay me to suck my dick and I was like this is weird I'm like yeah I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass but like cause I have to work and I don't know if that's like a, I should probably not do that and then I was like uh, and then and then and then 
you know, part of the stipulation was I had to like finish. And I was like, I don't think I can pull this off, man. Like, but I'm kind of intrigued for easy 300 bucks. And so then, um, you know, my shift ended and my mind is like just fucking blown. And I'm like, geez, and, you know, pun intended, I guess. Um, and I was like, wow, man, this is a crazy place to work, you know? Um, and so I was like, Hey, like, um, what do you, you know, like, what do you guys think? Like, um, can I, you know, my, do, do I, do I, do I get the job? And, and, you know, is the, is the like guard or whatever. And he's like, he's like, um, he's like, yeah, you know, um, we don't ever hire straight people, but, Someone told us that you were on Jerry Springer, and we pulled up the Springer episode. It's like, fuck yeah, you can totally have this job. And I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me, man. This is so bizarre. And so they were psyched. And then eventually, like, the owner of the club, like, kind of opened up to me and was like, I can't believe you have a Wikipedia page. Wow, did you get a Wikipedia? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. But if that's what got me the job here, I'm super grateful, you know, because I would go there and, like, work and fucking get like mad tips and like cruise out i mean they pay you t- minimum wage but like i would get like a couple hundred bucks a night in tips just like to do whatever you know like hang out and fucking shoot the shit like it was pretty sick and then they let me go on tour because they were also like super supportive and kind of psyched that like i would go do all this shit and the owner of the club he was really into he thought he was a uh, like he thought our baby thinks he's like or is i don't know uh he like a edm dj and so he he would he tripped out on shit like oh you're gone going to australia with the bloody b roots and you know like things like that were like impressive to him and so i managed to kind of continuously keep my job there and then still go on tour and stuff and so i think they just tripped out on like the the sort of pseudo celebrityness of it but regardless so yeah my first night and I, I i left the club and i went out the alley to go to my car and it was like 3 30 in the morning and i was like pretty thrashed i wasn't you know used to like being up at, at a work place until 3 30 in the morning and i cruised out the alley and i turned the corner and i mean it's in a residential neighborhood i couldn't turn the corner and i literally tripped over this um i guess i guess she was uh and drag, yeah, this woman sucking this guy's dick, like, on the sidewalk, and I was, like, <laughs> you know, fumbled over these people, like, you know, having a good time, and I was, like, what the fuck, like, whoa, this is crazy, you guys, in the middle of the sidewalk, like, and there's, like, a house right there and stuff, you know, and I was, like, okay, you know, and then I went home, and, and that was that, so that was my that was my first night, so, I mean, that was, like, night number one, and then, it, and then I did it for eight years, you know, so it's, like, uh, some crazy shit, you know, I've seen, like, I have seen some of the craziest shit. <laughs> just, I'll leave it at that. I mean, it's it's it'll take me a while to write about it because I think uh, every now and then something will pop up in my head. Be like, remember that time where there was like all those lesbians peeing in the urinals? Like that was so crazy. Like, you know, like <laughs> what the fuck? You know, like I don't know. Like maybe that's not that interesting to write about. But like to me, I thought like this is cool as hell. Like I walked in and there's like four urinals and there's like four lesbians peeing backwards into the urinals. I was like, this is awesome. Um, or like I don't know. Once they like, would do these performances there, where they like hire like make it like these what the fuck parties, and they would like theme them. And once they hired a donkey, uh, a camel, there was like a camel there, and I was like, this is some <laughs> serious shit, like a camel. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Do, do it's also pe- weird, like what? like a lot of bears will shave their backs, and like it just feels like a beard. Like their whole back is a beard. That's a, that's crazy, too. <laughs> <laughs> do, do people still bring up the Jerry Springer thing all the time? Yeah, all the time. Really? But it's fine. It is what it is. Yeah, all the time. 
Well, but hey, it got me a job. It, that's actually what got me the part in Incompressa. So it works out. It's been it's been lucrative, even though they didn't pay us to be on Jerry Springer. It was lucrative in the in, like later on. That's what Aussie found you in. Um, a friend of mine who was like a, the, the music supervisor for the film, um, and good friends with Aussie, was like, "Hey, she was looking for someone to play the part that I got." And she's like, "Hey, you should hire this guy like to do the the part. And he, he would be perfect." And so she watched, and that was what she sent her, and that's what got me the part. <laughs> so <laughs> great, it, was, it worked out really good for me. How did your role come about in uh, the Icarus Line Must Die then? Oh, I think, um, I don't know. Joe and I go way back, like pretty far back. So um, I think he was like, hey, we're filming this thing. We, we'll retox play in it. And we're like, sure. We had a show in L.A. that night. and I was already up there. And so the next day we just went and filmed it. And it, was, it, was, it wasn't a whole lot to it. Though. We were just supposed to play one song in this um, in the studio that he, that he ran at the time. And... So there's a little bit of dialogue, but it was like real natural dialogue. I remember he, I think he says like, um, you know, where is everybody or something? And I'm like, oh yeah, they're late. They were really, <laughs> they were late because it was fucking LA traffic. And then I had, I had messed up my, my arm actually working at the club that I worked at. And, um, and I had this brace on my arm and he's like, he's like, oh man, like, um, what were you doing, fighting? You know, or like, did you get, like, I don't know, something about, like, my the brace on my arm. What are you fighting? And I was like, yeah, fighting, like, my mind, you know, or something. And it was just, but it was, like, not uh, rehearsed, and it wasn't, um, there wasn't, like, a, there wasn't, like, um, it was just natural, you know? And it was like, okay, we just did a couple, these are the scenes, I guess, and then we just played. And then, you know, the funny thing is, like, when we played, I think we played, like, like, we're technically supposed to be recording in a studio, and, like, if you look at us, like, everyone's, like, ripping pretty hard, like, especially our bass players, just fucking ripping super hard. I'm like, dude, that's not how you record. <laughs> you, know, like, you don't ever really rip that hard. Like, it just looks kind of funny, but I was like, I mean, it's a movie and stuff, so, I don't know, it was cool, but, yeah, I like Joe a lot. I think I think he's a cool dude, and I was, I was psyched to be part of it. It was nice that he asked us to be in it. And it had other, had a bunch of other homies in it too, so it was cool. Well, what can we expect from you coming up? Uh, Movie-wise, or music, or anything? Anything. Um, well, there's going to be the new Dead Cross record. There's going to be a new Def Club record, a new Planet B record, and then um, is is all that going to get released? Satanic. Is all that going to get released by the end of this year, or is it going to probably no, get no, nothing, 2021? Nothing will be. In- 2020's fucking shot, dude. I don't think any... I mean, none of those records are done. Um, but we did finish a Satanic Planet record, which is... It's me and Luke from Planet B, and then Lucian Greaves from the Satanic Temple, and then actually Dave Lombardo joined the band because of the pandemic. So we kind of lucked out with that because initially it didn't have Dave on the record. Um, but that's, that record's done. It's being mixed. But I, I'm... I don't know, like, who's going to release it, and I, I don't think it'll come out in 2020. I think it'll still be 2021. Um, but, yeah, so there's a bunch of shit, and, you know, I mean, eventually there'll be some locust stuff. We had started writing, and then we haven't seen each other since the the since the pandemic, but we were writing, and we were actually supposed to be going on tour next month, but uh, that got canceled, too. But um, So, yeah, lots of new stuff. There's tons of new shit happening, um, always new stuff. Well, JP, it's an absolute honor to get to chat with you today. 
You've influenced the shit out of the scene, and I really hope everybody goes back and picks up everything of yours because it's true. It really is some of the most interesting stuff happening right now, and I'm I'm personally super excited to see you back on stage again with Dead Cross, Locust, all of them. It doesn't even matter. You on stage is fucking awesome every single time. Oh, I, I really appreciate all that. That's like I think you're way too kind, but thank you very very much for saying all that stuff. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Hopefully we're going to see Justin Pearson back on the road sometime soon. But in the meantime, make sure to pick up his books from the graveyard of the arousal industry and how to lose friends and irritate people. This concludes our broadcast day.